folks, this is Kim from thecontemporaryeducator.com, a podcast and blog dedicated to all my fellow teachers out there who are trying to balance the many demands placed on the contemporary educator. I'd like to acknowledge that I live and work on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations, and I am very privileged to be able to live here and um, to be a settler on these lands. So today is a theater-specific podcast. I haven't done too many of those. I haven't done too many theater-specific blogs or podcasts, but um, this last week was my auditions and casting, which is why I didn't manage to turn anything out last Sunday. Last Sunday, I spent about five hours casting my show. This was the first year I'd ever done um, virtual auditions, and they were pre-recorded and then emailed to me and so my assistant director and I did them over Zoom. It's the first year I've ever done that. So anyways, it took a heck of a lot longer than I had anticipated. And um, <laughs> the time really got away from me last week. So I appreciate your patience in waiting for this week's podcast. But because last week's auditions and um, you know starting our rehearsal process this past week, and uh, of course casting lists are a stressful time, I started to think about, um, you know, how theater can be both the most stressful thing in somebody's life and the biggest stress release in somebody's life and how we as theater teachers are constantly walking that tightrope. And I often find myself, you know, in the throes of stress right before a show opens or, you know, a particularly stressful day when, you know, a lead doesn't show up for rehearsal or there's complications with the set design or the lighting or the tech or whatever kinds of things happen to come up during the run of a show and how you know kids feel that and how our students feel that pressure too and they want just as badly as we do for the show to go off without a hitch so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is how we walk that tightrope between it being the most stressful thing that a kid can do, but also the most rewarding and how we don't put, or how we can avoid, I should say, putting that added stress onto young people when we're feeling it ourselves. What are the ways that we can try to circumvent some of that difficulty and challenge that young people feel? Now in theater, there's a lot of real life learning that happens. So when a cast list goes up and young people are inevitably disappointed because they didn't get the part that they wanted and, you know, they're, they're kind of faced with feels feelings of rejection or upset because they didn't get the part that they expected that they would get. And they've been working really hard. That's a real life situation. You know, we might not all be auditioning for everything all the time, but every single job interview is an audition for that job. Every time we go on a date, that's an audition for our future relationship. And so, you know, we're constantly met with disappointing auditions and we're constantly met with disappointment, even when we feel the audition went really well, even when we've been working really hard on ourselves and on our skills and abilities, the reality is, is that there's going to be disappointment. And as much as I think that it's important that young people have this experience and they learn from it. I think it's equally as important that we help to buffer that feeling of rejection when they're in school still. I know some people don't agree with me on this. There's definitely, you know, a a theory out, you know, a 
thought process out there that if it's going to happen, if they're going to face rejection anyways, they better do it early so that they know how to deal with it and yada yada. And I, I, you know, I guess I can see some value in that, I suppose. However, I really do think that high school is the place where they get their, they dip their toe in the water of rejection and they don't get pushed into the deep end of the rejection pool. And I, I feel strongly that, you know, high school needs to be an opportunity or school in general, not just high school, needs to be a place of opportunity where we give as many students as possible, as many opportunities to grow as possible. And so if we are constantly saying no, we're not really giving students an opportunity to learn and grow. All we're doing is telling them that they're not good enough and um, we're not really helping to boost their self-esteem and self-confidence that when they do go out into the real world, they can handle rejection knowing that it's not personal and that they can try again on something else or, you know, that they're going to be okay even if things didn't go their way. And I think that's really what our job is as, as theater teachers in particular, but as teachers in general. So I want to talk about the ways that I try to buffer some of that level of rejection for students and make sure that they still feel loved and cared for in the process and so that they also feel valued for the talent that they do bring and deliver. It's really important that young people understand that casting isn't based solely on talent. So somebody who is very talented may not get the lead part, not because they're untalented, but because somebody else was a better fit for the role, because there's more schedule conflicts, because that person had been in musical theater for longer and so had earned the right to that particular role. Because they have vocal lessons with a coach outside of school, so I know that they're going to be practicing their songs on their own. These are all things that I cover with students the week before their auditions. So I make sure that they understand that they may have had a stellar and phenomenal audition, but there's a lot of factors that go into casting over and above just the fit for the role or ability and talent. I also ask students to sign a piece of paper, like a contract, I guess, that says that they understand what these things are. And it's not, it's not for my benefit, it's for theirs, so that they have to read it, they have something that says, okay, I get it. If I don't get the part that I'm after, it's okay. It's not about me. And I think that this is really important for young people to understand because when they are out there faced with rejection in the real world, you're not going to have, you know, a potential employer calling you saying, hey, it's not you, it's me. That's, that's just not the reality. And so, you know, it's an opportunity for us to make sure that when students in the future are faced with that rejection, that they can still have that mentality of, okay, it's not me, it's the job, it's you know, there was somebody else who was a better candidate. It has nothing to do with my talent and my ability. Whether it's a theater-related profession or not, I think that that, you know, kind of mentality goes across the board. So that's one thing I do. I make sure that they truly understand, and I know most theater teachers are doing that. They make sure that their young people truly understand what goes into the casting process. The other thing I do is when I post the cast list, I make sure that I'm in the room when they see it. 
So I won't post the cast list if I'm not going to be there that day. I'm not going to post the cast list and hide or run away. I make sure that I'm there. I do this so that I can see every single student's reaction when they see the part that they received. If they look at the cast list and realize that they're on their chorus and they feel like, oh shoot, I'm only chorus. I wanted the lead part. I thought I had the lead part. I want to be there to be able to gauge how severe their reaction is. And when I say severe, I, I don't mean that they're, you know, kicking and screaming or yelling or angry. I mean, is this going to be something that makes them feel broken and embarrassed and not wanting to participate? So I will often stand right by the cast list, watch every single one of my students see the cast list, get a gauge for how they feel and actually ask them about it. If I'm not gonna be able to be in the room when they see the cast list, I don't put it up. Of course, <laughs> there have been years when my instinct is to post and run because I know that there's gonna be fallout from students and because there's fallout from students, I know there's gonna be fallout from parents as well. But because I really stand behind my casting process and I'm ready for students to confront me with what their concerns are, it's just in everyone's best interest to be as available as possible when you first post the casting list. And not only available for them to email you, but available in the moment. If you notice that heartbreak, it's really important to touch base with them to, to gauge how significant that heartbreak really is and if this is broken theater for them. And if it has, if that's how they're feeling in that moment, how do we correct that? How do we make sure that they still feel valued as a part of the chorus when they don't feel that the chorus is a valuable part? So that's one aspect that I think is really important. Another thing that I do is really make sure that I'm available before the audition process. So I'll have several students ask me to help them find a monologue or ask me to help them find a song. So our audition process, I know everybody kind of does it differently. Um, for the auditions, they have to come in with a monologue and a song, a, a song from a musical. And um, then for callbacks, I make them do a warm read of a scene from the, the show. And so when students are selecting their monologue, um, they'll often ask for help with selections. I make sure that I'm available for every single student who's wanting help workshopping their monologue. Some students will take me up on that, some students won't, and that's totally fine. I have never felt like I've been so bogged down by requests for support that I've been unable to manage it. But I do think that it's a valuable step because it gives you an opportunity to see where students are at before they actually audition. And over and above that, it also makes sure that um, you know, you can start to see how able they are to take direction in a bigger part. And if they're struggling to take direction, that's a conversation you can have really early on before they even submit their audition or show up for auditions if you're doing them in person. Because a student who's unable to take direction or not unable, but perhaps, um, you know, is still developing their ability to take um acting direction. If that's something that they're not going to be able to have kind of honed by the time the show starts, it's important for them to understand that that's a skill that they can work on this year in order to audition for next year. 
it'll preempt the reality that they're probably going to get a different part than what they'd originally set out for, but it'll also give them some place to go. They'll really pay attention to that feedback and they'll try really hard to demonstrate their ability to accept feedback and make shifts in this year's production. So all of this is kind of basic, but what do you do to build a feeling of community and a sense of, of cohesion, group cohesion and ensemble once rehearsals begin? Well, the first step is to make sure that you're both your crew and your cast feel equally valued. And this is something that I struggled with when I first started. So when I first started, well, at this school, when I first started at this school that I'm at now. And the reason for that is that there was no crew. So when I started, it was a, a you know, kind of a floundering program. Um, it was, you know, the previous teacher was close to retirement. So fair enough, you know, he wasn't really putting all of his, um, all of his passions and energy into it anymore. And I had to recruit stage crew. So I had a very, very tiny crew and a pretty tiny cast, truthfully. Um, so, you know, it became challenging because the, I think, general vibe before is that crew wasn't really something to be valued and that cast was the be all end all of the show. And so keeping crew was a challenge because the cast had been not so kind to our crew. So that was a, a kind of toxic pattern I noticed that we needed to break really, really quickly. And so now what I've started doing is actually the first few rehearsals, we all make sure that we meet together. We make sure that we do a name um, pronoun circle and uh, like what your role is on the team. And we do full group ensemble building. So historically, I would only ensemble build with just the cast to make sure there was cohesion in the cast. I started involving the crew in a lot of our ensemble building games. And this was a really big pivotal point for us um, because we started to notice that when the crew became involved, the cast started to respect the crew a lot more. When the crew became involved, the cast started to include the crew in cast activities and outings and get togethers a lot more so. Now, of course, that's changing this year with COVID um, because we can't have that many people in the space all at one time. We have 72 people registered in, in my program and um, we can't have 72 people in a space at any given time. But I'm still going to work to instill that sense of every part, whether your cast or crew, is valuable. And I know that most people are really good at this. I suppose what I'm trying to do is encourage um, a lot of group collaboration and ensemble building not just with cast but involving the crew in that ensemble building too and in a lot of those what would traditionally be actor games for it to be full group games i found this to be really helpful uh, i also mentioned the pronoun circle now this is i think probably the most important thing to do to make sure that the group is um, supportive and nurturing of one another by starting with a pronoun circle, and the way that that works, for those who don't know, you start yourself as the teacher, and you introduce your name, and you say what pronouns you use. You do this to make sure that 
everybody understands that it's okay to be trans and it's okay to be non-binary and that we are in a group that is going to work really hard to make sure we don't screw up your pronouns and to make sure that we are in a group that works really, really hard to learn your real name and not keep practicing the potential dead name that's on your attendance sheet. And this is really, really critical. So for a trans student or non-binary student who has changed their name, that's what a dead name is. It's the name that they were assigned when they were born that they no longer respond to. That they've chosen a different name that fits with who they are as a person and that's the name that as educators and if we're building a community, that's the name that we need to be prepared to use. So I'll start with, hi, my name is Kim and I use she, her pronouns. I'm in musical theater because, and then, you know, carry on with whatever your, uh, you know, kind of attendance check-in question is. I'll do this several times throughout the rehearsal process. So it doesn't start just and end, and end just on day one. I'll do a name and pronoun circle probably about four or five times throughout the course of musical. I do this because many young people are still coming out and I don't want them to have to go by their dead name for the entirety of the show because they don't, they haven't been given an opportunity to come out in a way that feels safe and comfortable for them. So by allowing more opportunities to do a pronoun circle, it makes sure that you're not spotlighting your trans and non-binary students by saying, hey, this person has changed their pronoun and you know they've come out, but it also does allow them an opportunity to reintroduce themselves. And it makes sure that you are up to date with the information that is correct for them. So that's really important. The other thing that I often will do is I'll elect, um, I'll elect class representatives. And I elect one person from crew and one person from cast, both of whom are usually a grade 12 student. And this is a person who is reliable and um, is, you know, kind of connected and friendly with other students in the class. That person then becomes kind of a liaison between the rest of the cast and myself. If a student is upset with something that I've done or is upset with something that another student has done, but doesn't feel safe or comfortable to confront me and tell me about it, they can go anonymously to their class representative. The class rep can then come and report that information to me so that I can address it. Whether it's me using incorrect pronouns unintentionally, whether it's you know me using a tone that was offensive to another student or um, another student who is you know bullying another kid in the rehearsal and I'm not noticing it whatever the case may be the class rep can then come to me and say hey Kim this is what's going on that we need you to address that then gives me permission to address it it makes sure that whoever needs to report that information anonymously can do so and feel safe to do so and that they don't feel like they have to come to me if it's an issue with me now, in the past five years of me using the class rep system, I've never had a student who didn't feel comfortable coming to tell me that they had a problem with something I've said or done. But I have had students who needed to use the class rep because they were scared to report about another student. 
and they wanted to be anonymous. So they would go to the class rep and say, this is what's going on. Then that person comes to me and says, I don't want to tell you who told me this information, but you need to know this about so-and-so. This system has made it exponentially safer for my kids to feel as though they can report on anything that's going on in rehearsal that I'm unaware of. And as we know, there's tons of stuff that happens behind the scenes, right? Um, You know, there's stuff that's going on backstage that we can't possibly be privy to. And having a student who has eyes on everything and who other students trust and who is able to step into that leadership can really help to make a difference in the sense of community and safety. It also shows students that even though you're the director and you're the teacher, you are not the authority be all end all, that you're willing to share the equality and that you want to create a sense of, um, of support amongst the class, not from a top-down perspective. The other thing that is really important is to make sure that if you're choosing a show, try to choose a show that allows a lot of opportunity even for the smaller roles. Where there could be a student who has a smaller part, but that smaller part gets a few lines or gets featured in a dance number or is at least on stage through the entirety of the show. This allows your younger students, your grade 8s or 9s, whatever year your high schoolers start with you, this allows them to dip their toe in the water of musical theater and work toward one of the bigger parts while still feeling a part of the ensemble entirely without it feeling like, oh, cool, like I'm in one dance number, like what's the point? Or altogether, like what used to be the case at the school I was at, grade 9s, which is where our high school starts, grade 9s weren't allowed in the show at all. And so, you know, this is a good opportunity to start to build your program from grade 9 on, making sure that the grade 9s get an opportunity to shine a little bit so that then in grade 10, they can get a slightly bigger role, maybe a tertiary or secondary character until grade 11 and 12 when they're going to be the leads. That also makes sure that they're building the skills that they need to be successful those later years and so that they're invested and they feel important and they feel a part of that community. The other thing I do is I talk relentlessly about how musical theater is a family. And so when things do start to go sideways or they're difficult or, you know, whatever happens, we make sure that everybody understands that musical theater is not just a commitment, it is a passion for people. And the people are there because they are there to support one another. And we use that kind of mantra over and over and over again. I mentioned before in another earlier podcast about coming up with a class slogan or a motto. And our last year's motto for our show was don't forget to love each other. And I'm not sure what this year's is going to be yet. We haven't gotten that far in, but I'm going to do this every year. We're going to come up with a motto that we can say all together at the end of our rehearsals. You know, don't forget to love each other because it's really important that students understand the value of those relationships they have with each other and that even if they're not best friends outside of musical, they are going to be friends when they're in musical and they're going to be friendly towards each other. They're going to be kind, compassionate, caring, and 
and uplifting and hold each other up. And the friendships that can be made in musical, I mean, the whole reason that most of us get into theater, right, is because we care so deeply about it and we've built so many of our friendships and our lifelong relationships through theater, particularly in high school. So it's an opportunity for us to make sure that our students are getting that same kind of experience. Musical theater can be therapeutic, but we need to make sure that we're setting the stage the right way. We need to make sure that we are preemptively having a bit of a safety net for our kids who are afraid of failure and who feel rejected, particularly after the audition process. We need to make sure that our trans and non-binary students feel safe, comfortable, and supported. We need to make sure that we aren't just throwing our kids into the deep end of rejection because that's what real life is going to throw their way. We need to make sure that our kids are able to dip their toe into the pool of rejection and still feel as though we're going to be their flotation device. We need our students to understand that we are there for them 110% and that we will help wipe away the tears when they didn't get the part they wanted. But over and above that, we're going to help them work so that next year they do get the part that they want. And this is really the role that we have as theater teachers. And I know, you know, we wear many, many different hats, but we need to make sure that our cast and our crew are a cohesive team and that they respect and appreciate each other and they're not, you know, feeling as though one is better than the other because, I mean, we, we all know that there's no show without our crew and there's no show without our cast. So they're just as important as one another. And uh, I know that, you know, most people are already doing these things in their classes. And I know that most people are already trying to foster this, um, you know, sense of community and, and cohesion. This year, it's increasingly important that we do that. Whether we're doing it virtually or we're doing it in person, we need to make sure that we're building that sense of camaraderie. And so that's why I wanted to do this podcast today. I just wanted to give some tips on, on things that I have done that I have found to be particularly helpful. And I'm opening the floor to hear any tips and suggestions that you have that have been, you know, the best things that you've done to help both build your program and foster that sense of community and mutual respect. Because that's the most important piece, right? Is that we, we have a sense of, family in our theater groups. So these are some of the things I do and every year I'm kind of changing how I approach it and I'm trying new strategies that some have worked and some haven't. Um, you know, so I'd be really interested to hear what things have worked for you in your communities and what things haven't worked for you in your communities and if any of these things that I've suggested resonate with you. So just to recap, um, I suggest you know being there when you post your cast list so that you can see reactions from the students and you know which students need a little extra love. Uh, I'm gonna tack on to that. Um, I always send an email out to the whole staff the day that I post the cast list to give them a heads up that it's going up. So if somehow a kid slips through the cracks and I don't see that they're devastated, that my colleagues can look out for it and can let me know if there's a student who needs a little extra love. Um, I 
also make sure that if students need support before the audition so that they can prepare for it, I offer unlimited support. I'll help them find a monologue and then I'll help them workshop the monologue. I'll help them find a song and then I'll help them workshop the song. Um, during rehearsal, the very first rehearsal, I do a name and pronoun circle. I don't read off the attendance. I allow students to introduce themselves. And I do this with both cast and crew. I also involve the crew and the cast both in all of our ensemble building activities where we play games before rehearsal starts. I elect class reps, typically a grade 12 student from both cast and crew who already have been through musical a couple of years and understand the process, who can be a trusted ally for students who don't feel safe or comfortable coming to talk to me directly. I do pronoun circles multiple times throughout the rehearsal process just to make sure that if a student changes their name and their pronoun, that they aren't put under a spotlight to have to do it in front of everyone solo. And above all, I make sure that students are understanding how important it is to nurture and respect one another. This is done in multiple ways, but one of the big ones that I found to be really helpful is our class slogan. So those are some of the things that I do to really help to foster community connection and relationship in my musical theater process. Even though, as I said at the beginning, musical can be one of the most stressful things, but it can also be the biggest stress reducer. So how do we walk that tightrope? Well, these are some of the ways that I do. And these are some of the things that I have found to be very helpful. So, like I said, I want to open the floor. I want this to be a bit of a dialogue. I know you can't talk back at me through a podcast, but I would love to hear comments and some insight from you on what are your top tips on creating family in your theater community. If you want to reach out, I would love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email at thecontemporaryeducator.com or thecontemporaryeducator at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at teach.emote.repeat or um, yeah, you can join, you can like us on Facebook, The Contemporary Educator on Facebook. And I would love to get feedback in any and all way that you want to provide. And even if you're not a theater teacher, but some of these tips resonated with you, which ones and which ones are you planning to employ and, uh, and which ones, what tips do you already have? that you're using that you think I could benefit from. Tell me because I want to learn. <laughs> so anyways, I hope you have a lovely rest of your week. And for all of my theater teacher friends out there, just keep going. I know COVID has been a really difficult endeavor uh, to try to overcome with theater. And um, I'm just, I'm really grateful that theater is surviving and I'm grateful that there are so many incredibly creative and, and inventive theater teachers out there who are keeping it alive. So thank you for all of your hard work and I really look forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. 